0: Villainous. A Good Omens fanfiction, Written by Ineffable Penguin. Read aloud by Sky Asimaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings, or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. Villainous, Chapter 18, Wishful Thinking Crow spent the next week in the sort of misery that can only be self-induced. Once he reappeared back at the rookery, he stomped straight upstairs and did indeed get roaring blindingly drunk that night, and the following morning, and throughout that day, through great force of will, he managed to stay absolutely stagger-off-his-feet sloshed for nearly twenty-four hours straight. It probably would have been longer, but he ran out of wine. Then the following hangover was so spectacular that for another full day, he was too ill to think about what had happened. But the fog could not last forever. When the next sober day dawned, and he was finally able to drag himself upright again, he found to his dismay that the events, (laughs) fine, his own actions, in the wood, had stripped away some kind of emotional barrier. The cracks were stretched wide, the damned levee was breached, and no amount of growling would hold the waters back again. That one stupid, reckless kiss had tugged something free in himself, and like a loose thread caught on a splinter, it only unraveled further as the day went on taking his sanity with it. How stupid, he thought furiously, as he scrubbed at his hair in the bath, trying to rid himself of the stink of sour wine. Stupid, stupid, stupid! What the hell was I thinking? To kiss him and make it look as if... as if he thought Azra owed him something. Violating his trust, taking advantage of him while he was still groggy and compromised, still hurt, like some kind of... some kind of... Huh. Scoundrel. Villain. scallywag, He groaned in agony and scrubbed until his scalp burned, trying to wash the memory away with soap. It didn't work. Hmm... So- Stupid doesn't even begin to describe it, he brooded later as he slumped against the windowsill. Even under different circumstances, what exactly had he expected Azra to say? Oh, Crow, I know I'm betrothed and supposed to kill you on sight, and even coming near your life almost just got me killed, but I find you so devastatingly attractive that I'd like to lose everything for you. Careful, Snog. He gave a disgusted groan (laughs) and chucked another rock down at the hedge with all his might. The basket next to him was nearly empty and all the ravens were keeping their distance for once. Was he addicted to pain? To be so impossibly stupid? To hope that any Northlander, or any mundane for that matter, could feel something for a sorcerer. The very joke of it. He had been lucky to even have his friendship, and now because he'd gone and crossed that line, Azra would probably never want to see him again. The thought made his eyes burn, which was stupid. Crying was yet another thing that sorcerers simply did not do. Crow dragged a hand down his face and thumped his forehead against his desktop, upending his inkwell and ruining the apology letter he had been trying and failing to write all day. He'd had vague plans to try to find a messenger to carry it up to the fells, but the words refused to come. There had been no letter from Azra either in those three days. No little white pigeon flapping its way into his room. No gold-sealed scroll. They were barely friends anyway, probably. He reflected at dinner as he picked morosely at his food, rearranging the plain boiled potatoes around his plate and grinding them into a white paste with his fork. So stupid of him to read so much into a few friendly moments, spinning a simple hand kiss into something more in his mind. Azra was kind to everyone. It was just who he was. Azra had been kind to him before he even knew him, after all, from that very first fateful day at the wall, and he'd not, recoiled from his scars, had always treated him like a human being. But kindness was all it had been. And even if Azra could ever see a sorcerer like something more... Well, it was obvious that he couldn't, didn't. His immediate repulsed flight was definitive proof of that. Whatever trust Azra may have had in him before, Crow had obviously shattered it. Leave it to him to ruin the one bright spot in his life. This is what happens when you aren't careful enough. You burn things down. Crow mashed the hapless potatoes with enough force to rattle the table and shoved the plate away. After a moment, he stood and slumped his way off to bed, leaving dinner cold and untouched. And it didn't matter either way, he thought, twisting the covers in his hands until the seams began to split. Because it would be insane, obviously. A sorcerer, and a Northlander, and a royal, no less. Ha! Unthinkable! Impossible! Hilarious! Both the council and the kings would pitch a collective fit large enough to be seen from across the sea. And that was that. He dodged an arrow, really. But... As Crow lay awake in bed at night, staring at the canopy ceiling, once there was nothing more to do, nothing more to distract him or to rage at, the heaviness in his chest became too much to bear. During those dark, breathless hours, he couldn't help but comfort himself by imagining that moment in the forest again. And this time, that Azra had not flinched away. He couldn't help but remember how he had felt in his arms, imagine what it would feel like to hold him in earnest, fully conscious this time, and kiss him again, and more. Though now more than ever, such imagining left him frustrated and furious with himself, pummeling his pillow and sleeplessly trying to throttle his imagination, trying with grit, teeth, to ignore the traitorous reaction of his own stupid, stupid, inconvenient body, cruelly taunting him with wildly optimistic suggestions that could never be fulfilled. He clenched his hands into his hair above his head, keeping them firmly away from the throbbing lower half of him. He stubbornly refused to touch himself. He didn't deserve it. At any rate, the hands he wanted, did not want, weren't his own, and he had done enough stupid things already. Sleep was no escape either when he did find it. As he only relived the scene by the fire again, there too. And there he had no self restraint, no will power. He was a captive audience to his dreams, tasting joy and waking with a start to cold, unconsummated reality, over and over again, haunted by the ghost of touches that he had never actually experienced. It left him groggy and terribly depressed. The next day dragged by, and Azra did not write. By evening of the fourth day, Crow decided that sobriety was overrated. He made his way up to the painted Jezebel and spent an evening hunched over a bottle of expensive brandy. Drunkenly bemoaning life in general to the room at large, and growling at anyone who dared come close. Everyone kept a wide berth from the drunk, crazy man wearing the glasses, so he mostly ended up talking to himself, and to Azra, of course. After four or five glasses, reality started to smudge a bit and Crow found himself muttering to him, as if he was really there in his usual seat. Madam Tracy finally came over in a blur of green satin and flutter of magpie wings, and pried him away from the table with gentle insistence. Uh, Now, now, dearie, she said firmly when he made irate noises of protest. If you keep this up, you'll start saying things you shouldn't. Let's get you out of this seat. She helped him stand, and said other things that sounded sympathetic, while Sergeant chirruped. But everything was very fuzzy at that point, and Crow couldn't have said what they were. He waved off her offer of a place to sleep, grabbed his still half-full bottle, with a surly grunt, and staggered out the door. He had no memory of what happened next. He did remember waking up the next morning in one of the painted Jezebel's empty guest bedrooms, flailing with the quilted bedding on fire. Thank fortune his glasses had stayed on, at least. Tracy was very understanding. She accepted his explanation of an overturned candle without complaint, and even refused his offer to pay for the room. "'It's not my first go-round, love,' she said, and smoothly handed him a porcelain cup of tea and a cold cloth for his aching head. Crow's sour tongue and griping stomach really didn't want the tea.' but it felt rude to refuse, considering. He sat hunched at the end of the bar and tried to be as inconspicuous as possible while he slurped away, glumly contemplating his life choices. At least the tea was hot and had plenty of sugar, and to his surprise it did a truly remarkable job of clearing both the headache and fog. From his thoughts, once he reached the dregs of the cup, he felt almost completely normal, far better than he had any right to, after his behavior last night, not to mention half a bottle of brandy. He finally thanked Tracy sheepishly and slunk out of the tavern as quietly as he could. He would be fine, obviously. He had always been fine before, in 22 years of being on his own. This was just a return to the status quo, a return to his normal. He had his freedom back, that was all. His empty, empty freedom of being completely, utterly alone.
1: And even if Azra did
0: hold my hand and kiss me back for a second, Crow thought as he violently trimmed the non-thorny hedges outside the tower door that afternoon.
1: Even if
0: that wasn't just a product of my imagination, it didn't mean anything. Because he was recovering from a deadly head injury, you bloody stupid lout! He grit his teeth and chopped the shears haphazardly with far too much force, leaving ragged, melon-sized holes in the greenery. Who knew? Maybe people out there in the world did things like hold hands and kiss from mere friendship all the time, or overwhelming gratitude. That was probably it. Azra had meant nothing by holding his hand, or kissing him back, a nice, friendly, platonic kiss. Crow flung the shears at the stone wall, narrowly missing skewering Haster as he came around the tower with a watering can, the first time they'd run into each other all week. Haster leaped back and glared. Before he could say anything, Crow stomped back inside, leaving the sadly deformed hedge as it was. He would be fine. He hadn't even meant to kiss Azra. No, he had just lost his head for a moment. What with the moonlight and the relief and exhaustion, that was all. Kissing Azra had been a a malfunction, a second of temporary insanity. Too much moonlight could make anyone do daft things. Heady stuff, moonlight. But he was fine. He said as much to the painting of father in the stairwell. He growled it to the possibly sentient suit of armor in his artifact room and muttered it to himself as he very carefully dusted the screaming bread box and still glowing amulets, and now slightly louder, humming book of poetry. He shouted it angrily to his dismayed orchids as he vindictively over watered them. He grumbled it to the ravens that landed hopefully on the window sill, looking in vain for snacks. He chanted it to himself as he slowly practiced a new cantrip designed to make lilies grow a new and particular shade of yellow, then realized what he was doing, lost control of the spell, and accidentally set fire to his breeches and second-favorite pair of leather boots. He was fine. The kiss had meant nothing to him. Nothing. Nothing at all. Crow might have wallowed in uninterrupted misery indefinitely, if not for that thing more inexorable than weather, or hunger, or even the heart. Government. The evening of the fifth day found him lying draped face down across his bed, in only his breeches, trying to think of nothing, when the knock came at his bedroom door. What? He mumbled into the blankets. An incomprehensible mutter. Haster had been even more surly than usual lately. Small surprise. What? Mm, Council here to see you, came the irate growl from the other side of the door. Crow's head popped up. All of them? He asked stupidly. No. Just Lord Lager. Lager? Here? Brilliant. Right, uh, be right down. He dragged himself upright and reluctantly pulled on a crumpled shirt from the floor. A quick wash of heat left it smooth. Another cantrip removed the more obvious stains. He glanced in the mirror, scratching at the scruff on his cheek and winced. Shit. He finger-combed his hair back a bit, then couldn't muster the will to care further. He began his unenthusiastic trek down the many, many stairs. Leaguer was lurking there in the entryway, dressed in a long, black leather coat with gauntlet cuffs and matching short cape. That damned lizard of his clung to his shoulder as usual, with long tail coiled around his throat. Leaguer's yellow eyes narrowed as Crow came down the stairs. For a moment, he said nothing, only stared at him. Have you been ill? he asked dubiously. Uh, kind of. Crow coughed into his fist. (coughs) Yeah, an egg of some sort. I'll be fine. Haven't been myself for a bit. Changing weather, you know. I feel better already, he said unconvincingly. I see. Leaguer looked him over, frowning. Crow followed his gaze to find a smashed purple orchid clinging to the front of his breeches. He flicked it away and lifted his chin, trying to project a confident front. What can I do for you? You have not responded to our messages. Messages? There had been a couple of unopened, black-sealed envelopes in the mail tray. Now that he thought of it... Right, the messages... Those messages. Mm. Yeah, I got them. Lord Leaguer glared at him. When we send you a letter, we expect a reply, Crow. We are not in the habit of making house calls all the way out here. I would never have done so at all, except that Cousin Huster and I already had a visit planned. Sure you did. Crow thought. We would hate to think that your behavior had grown, shall we say? Hmm, erratic, Liger said ominously. Kiss you, Haster! Clearly a message had gone directly to the council about his moment of supposed cowardice with Azra. It was easy to see that Haster was furious and no doubt he'd been hoping for some kind of official censure. Crow entertained the mental picture of punting the interfering old spy out the top window of the tower. It cheered him up more than he had expected. Like I said, I've been ill, Crow said shortly. Everyone is out of sorts when they're ill. I've felt it coming on for weeks. Might be months, but it's over now. He swallowed and rubbed briefly at his face. Definitely over, without a doubt. Leaguer's yellow eyes rested heavy on him, calculating. No doubt meant to be intimidating. Crow wasn't worried. The council wouldn't confront him about the incident directly. Not yet. Not for something that no one else knew about, and therefore had no impact on sorcerer reputation. Because that would mean admitting they received reports from Haster, and they would lose their opportunity to pretend to be all-knowing. They much preferred to drop ominous hints, all part of their little game. Sorcerers were, at the end of the day, mostly talk. And would you say that you are now returned to yourself? No more lapses in judgment? Leaguer asked slowly, narrow-eyed. Oh, the bastards thought they were so sneaky, didn't they? Crow thought irritably. "'and fought the urge to roll his eyes. "'The entire lot of them were about as subtle as a loud fart. "'Yep, yeah, definitely back to myself. "'Everything exactly the way it used to be,' he said without emphasis. "'Is that all?' "'Lieger grunted. (laughs) "'Yes, for now.' he turned to leave with an unnecessary flare of his cape that nonetheless did look good. He paused and cast a piercing look back over his shoulder. Only remember that your first allegiance is to your own kind, Crow. You are a sorcerer, first and foremost. Crow snorted. (laughs) Ha! Right." he muttered as he closed the door is not the sort of thing i can forget it was a beautiful sunny day in the high fells the kind of clear crisp seaside day that was perfect for walking or riding or doing just about anything really white sea birds Wheeled through cloudless skies above the palace, cries echoing on the cool, salty breeze. Prince Azra sat propped up in bed, exactly where he'd been for the past few days. There was a book in his lap, but it was closed. He just sat there, staring into space and thinking. He'd been doing that a lot, too. His sumptuous bedroom, with its gold curtains and colourful woven carpets, with its tall arched windows that let in the bright sunshine, seemed dim to-day. The summer blue of his satin coverlet was the more washed-out grey of a clouded sky. The rich leather books on their shelves were muted shades of brown, a faded room poor faded man. He realized distantly that Michael was still there and looked up. Uh, Sorry, what? The tall prince stood at the foot of his bed, arms folded as he looked down his aquiline nose at him. The servants say you've only picked at your meals. You aren't dying, are you? No, of course not. Azra replied, dully. He plucked at a loose silk thread dangling from his shirt cuff. But your concern is very touching, thank you. Michael sniffed. You've just been lying here for three days. Your grasp of the obvious remains unparalleled. Michael's brows twitched together, and he stared warily at Azra. For a long moment, perhaps the word unparalleled was too much for him. It had four whole syllables, after all. The physician says that your fever broke this morning, Michael said at last, frowning. Azra looked back down at his hands. I suppose it did. He'd tried to eat. Cook had fixed up some of his favorite things to tempt him, but guilt and sorrow and confusion had twisted his stomach into a solid, lumpy knot. He could barely swallow. He'd tried to read, but the words sat inert on the page, lifeless. He kept his glowstone tucked firmly out of sight in the side table drawer, mostly He just lay there, staring into space, and replayed that terrible night in his head. Replayed what he had done. After jumping on Serafina, he had only made it a couple minutes away, before reason returned like a slap to the face, and he'd stopped dead. Then he'd turned her about and ridden frantically back the way he'd come, in a confused panic equal to the one that had sent him fleeing, not even knowing what he planned to say or do, only knowing that everything in his entire being cried out, What? "What?" He'd searched for what seemed like hours, wet branches lashing at him in the dark, still wearing only his thin shirt and breeches, but he'd been unable to find the clearing no campfire, no beautiful red-headed sorcerer sitting there where he had left him. And why would there be? He'd left Crow, abandoned him, after everything he'd done for him, simply run off like an overwhelmed child without saying a word, without even making sure he was all right. How could I do that to him? By the time he'd finally given up, he was disoriented, lost and chilled to the bone, teeth chattering far more than seemed warranted even by the cold. He barely remembered making it back to his inn, something he was certain he owed more to Seraphina's intelligence than any merit of his own. The journey through the wood, through the gate, and up to Tadfield was nothing but a long blur of cold misery in his mind. He'd awoken the next day in his in-room bed, burning with fever, as one does after running half-dressed through the wet cold at night like a complete fool. The alarmed innkeeper had immediately sent word to the palace, and Azra had had no choice then but to accept the offered day-long carriage ride back to the fells. He'd spent two days in bed at home before the fever broke. Now he wanted only to be left alone, to try to make sense of his thoughts, but there were servants constantly fluttering about and one of his brothers poking their head in, twice a day, to ask if he had recovered yet. Not out of brotherly concern, naturally, but because Gabriel wanted to discuss a wedding date, and more training, of course. The prospect did not motivate him to rise, or do much of anything. And oh... The wounded look on Crow's face when he'd pulled away, it haunted him. Kept his eyes constantly stinging and his throat closing up whenever he tried to take a bite of food. Gabriel thinks that you might be shamming to get out of training, Michael put in, rudely interrupting his thoughts again. Azra snorted an undignified sound. (laughs) Does he now? An unpleasant smirk twisted the side of Michael's thin mouth. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised either. I still don't know how you managed to fall ill after only a single day away. Perhaps the strain of leaving your books was too much for you. Perhaps you could all try minding your own damned business for a change. Azra replied, dully, a stunned silence. What? As I've said, I simply don't feel well at all, he continued, ignoring his brother's astonished expression. But I expect it will pass. These things always do. It was true that the fever was gone now. Officially, there was not much wrong with him, by the physician's reckoning. He was simply listless, no appetite, and he couldn't very well say that his chest had been stuffed full of broken glass. He couldn't say that he felt like the pages of his most fragile ancient books, so thin and brittle that the wrong touch would crumble him. Such fanciful descriptions would have only earned a scoff. So he said nothing. He only met Michael's eyes disinterestedly, marveling at how easy it was, at how little it concerned him, and waited. Michael got bored first. He broke the stare and gave an irritated shrug, that was clearly meant to convey indifference. (laughs) Very well. Let us know once you're up and about again. Gabriel wants to speak with you regarding details for the wedding and the announcement at the tournament. Yes, so he said, Azra replied in the same dull voice. Five times now, I believe. Michael stared at him. "'What is the matter with you?' he demanded, losing patience at last. Azra looked up and frowned slightly, pursing his lips. "'That is a very good question,' he said honestly. "'I suspect I am either coming to my senses or losing them entirely.' Michael gave him a final, baffled look before shaking his head, turning on his heel, and striding out of the room. The door clicked shut behind him, leaving Azra alone. Alone. Azra resumed staring at his hands. Four days, four days since he had seen Crow, and now it was too late for anything. The damage was done. He'd hurt his dearest friend and ruined everything. Surely Crow despised him and wouldn't want to hear a word he had to say. Not after the shameful, cowardly way he had behaved. That was a certainty. And right on the heels of being such a useless old fool as to get himself nearly killed in the first place. Azra rubbed his eyes, groaning. (sighs) He'd recklessly endangered them both, nearly revealed their secret, put Crow through what must have been a dreadful ordeal, and then buggered off without a word. Of course, Crow would never want anything to do with him ever again. Who on earth would? Heavens knew he didn't want anything to do with himself. He would send a letter, Azra resolved, the moment he was able to sneak off. He simply couldn't leave things that way, even if Crow wouldn't see him. Just one last letter to beg his forgiveness, to apologize for the way things had happened, and to say goodbye to tell him how much he had meant to him. In a letter. Azra bit his lip and swallowed down a fresh lump that felt like it was made of thorns. He hadn't envisioned it this way. He hadn't envisioned it at all, to be frank, had avoided thinking of it at all costs. But a letter was painfully inadequate. How could he convey something so large, so important, as what Crow meant to him, in something as paltry as ink? How could he possibly put such complex feelings into words? He certainly couldn't write and tell Crow that that his kiss had filled him with the most incredible, hopeful joy, so powerful that it was frightening that it had spun his head round until he couldn't tell up from down, that it had been the single most beautiful moment of his life, right up until it wasn't, because at the touch of his lips, Azra had realized that despite everything he had been desperately telling himself, he was not going to be all right, not in the least, not one bit. He'd realized it with such painful, razor-edged clarity that it had sent him running from that clearing, as if it was a sword pointed at his heart. Because, because he loved him. Of course, he saw that now, plain as the rising sun, and he couldn't believe he had ever been able to convince himself otherwise. Dear beloved Crow, With his warm golden eyes and his wry smile that reached right down into him and squeezed his heart. Not just fondness, not just an infatuation, love. And oh, he had tried so hard to never feel that for anyone because he'd sensed that the horror of losing it would be more than he could bear and he'd been right. But he loved his beautiful, brave, red-headed sorcerer, nevertheless, had begun to love him from the day they first met. And now what good was any of it, when all that could do was tear him apart? He swiped furiously at his suddenly smarting eyes. And of course he couldn't tell Crow any of this, because... Because because none of that makes a difference, Azra thought, with a rare, helpless fury, though he couldn't have said who exactly he was angry at. Himself, most likely. His hands balled into fists under the covers, clutching at the sheets. He couldn't catch his breath. His ribcage was a metal gauntlet, squeezed tight. Even if someone like Crow could truly ever want someone like him. No, it didn't matter. It was far too late. Crow surely loathed him now. And the formal engagement announcement was less than two weeks off. And he couldn't simply gallivant off into the sunset, just shirk every single responsibility he had ever had to his family and his kingdom. No, it was quite impossible. It simply wasn't done. Some people were simply not destined to be happy, or at least not very happy. Sometimes good enough had to suffice. Sometimes responsibility meant that you didn't get everything you wanted. Some wishes were just that and simply not meant to come true." That was what he had always told himself, wasn't it? He swallowed that never-ending lump again, rubbing at his empty finger where his signet ring would normally be. The trouble was that he had been happy, so shatteringly happy, so truly alive during those months with Crow and it made the old arguments ring hollow as an empty room. It was one thing to resign himself to a loveless, sexless life, quite another to lose something once he actually had it dangled before him, and it was quite another to hurt Crow too in the process. That was something that had never occurred to him and had never dreamed he would have to contend with. But now, after that night, he could no longer tell himself he wouldn't be doing just that. Oh, Crow's stricken face! He'd tried to prepare himself for this all his life, but now that distant precipice was suddenly here, immediate, And, oh, it was so much farther and more deadly a fall than he had ever imagined. And it was made all the worse, because now he knew precisely what he would be losing. For a brief, sunny time, life had felt like one of his illustrated stories, full of bright, vivid color, where happy endings were a foregone conclusion. Where obligations weren't set in stone, which of course they were, weren't they? I wish. He stared at his hands, but his thoughts refused to fall into any kind of orderly pattern. He was a maelstrom inside, just as he had been in the wood, though this time he doubted it was the result of any head injury. He was just tired. He was so, so tired. Tired of feeling inadequate, like a failure of a son and a worse prince. Tired of trying so hard to live up to what he was supposed to be. A feeling like a background character in his own story. Tired of trying to not feel what he felt. Tired of trying to be all right it was abruptly too much he sniffled and looked numbly down at the book in his lap another book of folk tales an old favourite for when he was feeling down full of impossible victories and happy endings it could always be counted on to lift his spirits he smoothed a hand over the familiar cover smiling weakly the rough leather Was comforting under his fingers, not one of his glossy first editions, but a spare second hand version that he could carry around without fear of damaging it too badly. It had survived many journeys below the wall, and its very imperfection was reassuring. He would read a bit to settle his mind, then get some sleep, and then, and when he woke up, he would still be here. And the next day. And the next. And every day. Feeling exactly like this. The dim room went even more out of focus. And he rubbed hard at his eyes to clear it. Actually, he didn't feel like reading after all. He picked up the book with an unsteady hand to return it to his polished wooden night-table. As he did so, the front cover fell open a bit, and a dried yellow daffodil slid out into his lap. He froze, staring down at it. The daffodil lay there, a brilliant splotch of golden color, against his faded blue bedsheets, breathtakingly lovely and perfectly preserved. He remembered, now, that rainy day when he got back to his inn-room, he had carefully folded the fresh flower into a piece of spare writing-paper, and pressed it between the pages of the book for safe keeping. There it had stayed, completely forgotten until now. And, of course, he remembered Crow cradling the dormant bulb in his long, graceful hands, coaxing the daffodil out with nothing more than a whispered word. The daffodil he had brought because of an offhand comment made about a favorite flower. Grinning that rakish grin and full of that wonderful energy he always brought to his magic. A bonfire in a world of candles, Brilliant and warm, like something out of a story, but so very, very real. Azra closed the book. He set it very slowly, gently, back on the night table. Ever so carefully, he reached out and picked up the daffodil, feeling his heart tremble as his fingers touched it it seemed to shiver with light in the gloaming so much more real and vibrant than everything else around it like a fixed point in a world of shadows both hands slowly lifted to cradle the flower against his chest as if staunching a terrible wound he remembered soft lips that tasted faintly of smoke devastating shattering joy distilled into a single instant he remembered chocolate cake and a dozen small magical repairs and terrible scars he remembered warm hands cupped to his ice-cold face concerned golden eyes leaning close feeling disoriented and confused yet safer than he ever had In his life he remembered a candle-lit balcony and a hand atop his own in the dark if things were different i just might ask you to dance those memories were a beam of clear warm light through the winter frost illuminating thawing he loved crow he loved him more than anything else in this world And he was going to just walk away from that without a single fight? I wish. Azra pulled in a sharp, ragged breath. There was the most curious sensation in his chest of ice finally giving way under pressure. Did he really care more about being true to his family's expectations? then he cared about being true to himself, and by extension, the one person who seemed to actually treasure him. Did his brother's approval mean more to him than crow's? Put like that, the answers smote him with their obviousness. No, no, and no, of course not. And if that was true, then... What the actual devil was he doing? I wish... Why not? Well, because... He thought anxiously, swallowing. Uh, Of course I can't, because... because... Because then, all the time he had spent accepting his fate would have been for naught. If he indeed had a choice after all... If it was not, in fact, a sin to do so, it would mean that he could have chased happiness for all these years, and had simply chosen not to. The harsh truth of that took his breath away. Stunning. That was what he was truly afraid of now, wasn't it? To realize that he had suffered for nothing, to accept that he had wasted Long years of his life, forcing himself to be at peace. He was so very afraid of it, apparently, that he was preparing to throw good years after bad in the desperate hope that it would somehow give more value to all the times in the past. He'd thought he was simply accepting an unpleasant truth, but in reality, he had been avoiding one. Marrying Uriel wouldn't give him back any of those years. All that was left was forward, but he could choose what forward looked like. The idea was shocking. He felt the usual instinctive surge of palm-sweating guilt at the very thought, and for the first time in his life examined that guilt with a critical eye. Crow had made difficult choices too, hadn't he? Crow had walked away from what people expected of him, had chosen his own happiness, and he was not wicked or irresponsible or any of the things Azra had been so afraid of becoming. But Azra saw now that he'd branded himself Exactly that for even contemplating a life of his own. In trying so hard to do the right thing, he'd been judging himself more harshly than he ever would anyone else. And he'd let himself be convinced by father, but also by himself, that he didn't deserve better. He believed it so deeply that he'd resigned himself to an irrevocable fate at a young age, then built up an entire wall of excuses around his heart to justify it, brick by brick, that it was the only moral choice, that choosing a different path would make him selfish, that failing to live up to other people's expectations would somehow make him some sort of... of... feeling. Sitting there in his bed, cradling that fragile piece of sunlight in his palm, Azra felt something deep within himself. Crack. Like a hardened crust around his spirit, a lifetime's worth of fear and lies split and fell away. "'leaving something clean and smooth and diamond-clear behind. "'The most remarkable sensation flooded through him. "'It was a rather new feeling, but he thought it just might be courage. "'What matters most to me? "'What things are worth the trouble?' "'Azra dropped the flower.' and covered his face with his hands. His shoulders shook, but whether laughing or crying, even he couldn't have said. Much, much later, cold on the stroke of midnight, found him sitting at his little writing desk, illuminated by the steady light of his glowstone. His face was dry and determined. Before him on the desk lay a single piece of paper with only three lines written on it. It was the best he could do at the moment. He hoped it would be enough. End of chapter 18. Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.